Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Hold still. I am. What's it say? It says 98.7. So I'm a little bit warm. You're a little warm. Yesterday, we went to get our second booster of the Moderna vaccine, and we walked in, and they said, do you have an appointment? Yes, we have an appointment. Of course. Do you have your IDs? Yes, we have our IDs, and we slide them across the desk, and she picks cats up and looks at cat and says, you can't have your booster because it's only for people over 50. Yeah, I didn't know that. And cat said, but I'm fat. I'm <laughs> I thought that that meant that I was eligible. I thought because that means, you know, because I'm a beast that I'm, I could get the booster before <laughs> other people. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Because I'm immunocompromised due to my nacho intake. <laughs> well, as long as it doesn't vaccinate me from getting more nachos, you know, I'm good. I'll, yeah. I'll take it. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'm glad that you got yours, though, but I'm sorry that you're not feeling well today. Yeah, I'm feeling a little, uh, little achy. No big deal. But we'll get through it, and it's going to be great. Are you ready? I'm ready. So we're all pretty familiar with the supervillain, the Joker, Batman's arch nemesis. Yes, Jack Nicholson. One of them, Heath Ledger. You know, there are many people have played the Joker. He's appeared in American comic books and part of the DC universe uh, for quite a while now, decades. When we think of the Joker, most often the first thing that comes into our head that pops into our mind is the deep scars carved into his face. Yes. Could this character, the Joker, be based on a real person or true events? Ooh. The, the answer is yes. Could it be? <laughs> Could it be? The character, the Joker, was introduced in Batman number one, the comic book Batman number one in 1940. But the inspiration for the Joker and his scars proceeds that uh, by several decades, it appears as though those who created the Joker character were inspired by the horrific, gruesome torture method known as the Glasgow Smile. <gasps> what? 
Ooh. Oh, oh. And please note how I pronounced Glasgow. I just picked up on that. Well done. Oh, now we're holding hands. Oh, it's a special moment for us. <laughs> Hopefully it's one for you too. Um, this particular method of torture became extremely popular in the late 1800s. It's so weird to think of a method of torture as becoming popular. Oh, it was popular. Um, and then from the 1800s into the early 1900s, primarily in Scotland. And some say its roots go as far back as the early part of the, of the Industrial Revolution, maybe as early as the 1820s. And right now I'm, I'm going to insert a trigger warning because it's pretty graphic mm. and certainly disturbing. How the Glasgow smile was administered was like this. Oof. The edges of both sides of the mouth were slit with either a razor or a knife or a piece of glass, a shard of glass, usually a razor. Uh. As the victim screamed and grimaced in pain, it tore the cheeks wide open. So why would you do this? Yeah, well, I imagine it makes eating difficult. I imagine so. As Scotland's industrial revolution gained momentum, Scotland's population increased dramatically. In fact, by 1837, Glasgow had a, a quarter million people living there within the, just in the city limits. And by 1901, the population had surged to 760,000 people just in the city of Glasgow. Wow. Factories were being built, and to supply those factories, new dockyards were constructed. And for British farmers who had been displaced by the uh, Industrial Revolution, and also immigrants, it was a logical place to go and try to find employment. Lots of jobs in locomotion construction, shipbuilding, manufacturing, and other heavy industries. In short order, Glasgow had reversed its fortune to become one of the wealthiest cities in Great Britain, mostly due to its ports and its geographical location. I remember hearing about that on an episode of Rick Steves' Europe that we watched when he was talking about how this city was so industrialized and now it's kind of gone back to being more of a touristy type right. place and that that industrial area really lends itself to it doesn't matter I th it was neat okay not everything though was great even though it was one of the wealthiest cities in the uk it's not surprising to know that most of the wealth of that day went to a small percentage of the upper society huh yeah the lower class citizens even though glasgow was one of the wealthiest cities was living they were living in poverty and there was a lot of crime and disease. It was at about this time that gangs began springing up throughout the city at the end of the 19th century. Street toughs. Punks. Hoods, if you will. By the end of World War I, several gangs had adopted straight razors as their weapon of choice in these gangs. And they became known as the Glasgow Razor Gangs. I don't like the sound of that. It's not very comfy sounding, is it? It's mm -mm. not one of those, it doesn't conjure up a mental image that promotes comfort or goodwill for that matter. The Razor Gangs fought to control the various criminal activities in the South End and also the East End of Glasgow. Interestingly, the gangs all fell along religious lines. In other words, the gangs were either all Protestant or all Catholic. So there were Protestant razor gangs and there were Catholic razor gangs and ne'er the twain shall meet. 
<laughs> so dumb. Gangs are dumb. Gangs are dumb. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the turf battles between the two razor gangs or the two sects of razor gangs was more or less back and forth. It was endless, back and forth and back and forth. They would, Protestants would go into the Catholic neighborhoods and take over the Catholic neighborhoods for a while. Then the Catholic razor gang would push back. Right, right. And the practice of the Glasgow Smile was not just a torture method, but it was also a way to mark other gang members as having been involved or injured in these battles. You couldn't necessarily tell if they were from the Protestant Razor Gang or the Catholic. They were both doing it. Right. But you knew that you had to watch out for them. They were somebody that had gotten into it and uh, had lost. It's uh, It's like a teardrop tattoo. In reverse, yes. If a rival gang member was captured or subdued, three or four guys from the other gang would hold them down, one with each arm, uh, one or two holding the legs, and another one with the razor uh, did the work. He would lean over and slowly slit the sides of each each side of the mouth, and the pain, of course, was excruciating. Why slowly? Because they wanted to prolong the pain. I'm pretty sure it's going to be painful after it's done, too. Well, maybe it's just because they enjoyed it more. I don't know. Or, or perhaps they, they cared greatly about their craft. They didn't want to rush it. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I'm an artist with a razor. Oh. <laughs> Which everybody in Glasgow sounds like that. So. <laughs> not, not the Bronx. Glasgow. So the pain was very excruciating, and uh, the victim either screamed, or, and if he tried not to scream, of course, it's hard to not grimace. Mm. The cheeks would split open even more as he did that. If they were lucky, the wounds would heal over time but would leave this hideous smile-like scar on their faces for the rest of their lives. Surprisingly, this practice went unchecked for decades. It wasn't until 1929, the Great Depression leveled Glasgow economy, as it did most cities throughout the world. This is a period where major gangs throughout the city saw unprecedented growth in membership numbers mostly because of all the unemployed people. Uh, they thought maybe in numbers they would have a better chance of eating. They were obviously discontent. Right. In fact, at the beginning of the 1930s, estimates put the gang members at about six times as many in Glasgow as opposed to London. Huge increase. Because of this, and the decades of stories of gang activity in Glasgow, the city's reputation as a violent city kept growing, and obviously something needed to be done. So city officials hired a guy, his name was Sir Percy J. Salido. They that hired doesn't him. sound like a very Glasgow-y name. <laughs> I don't know where he came from, but yeah, Sir Percy J. Salido. Uh, he came to the city and, and became the new chief constable in June of 1931. And his first order of business was get rid of the Glasgow Razor Gangs and by proxy, the Glasgow Smile. Can you imagine being a child walking down the street and and seeing somebody? I mean, it must have been horrifying with those smiles. I I, I get freaked out just watching Heath Ledger's depiction, just the makeup job in the movie. Especially knowing the the history behind it and Mm. knowing that it's happening all around you all the time. (laughs) All the time. That's where it's scary. Now, the crackdown wasn't an immediate event. It was more of a process. He held the chief constable position until 1943. And by that time, most of the organized gangs in the city had been broken up and their leaders were serving time in prison. 
the victims of the Glasgow Smile, of course, would live on throughout the years as a grim reminder of the violent period of organized crime in that city. And even though that method of torture originated in Scotland, in Glasgow, murder victims around the world have had to endure this horrific method of torture. We know for a fact that at least one victim of Albert Fish, the cannibal serial killer guy, carved a Glasgow smile into the face of one of his victims. I don't, you kind of skipped over how Constable Percy fixed the gang situation. It was just a constant crackdown. There was like a zero tolerance kind of thing. And if, first of all, if you were caught engaging in any kind of gang related activity, you were quickly put behind bars. Okay. Also, Albert Fish. <sighs> yeah, that guy. Now, there's a reason why I haven't done the Albert Fish story, and it's because I find it so genuinely upsetting. I don't even think, I just don't, I just wish that it would not exist. Mm. And if I don't talk about it, maybe it's one step closer to not existing. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it I, is. I, I would agree with you. The most disturbing uh, story involving a serial killer that I have ever come across. Another example of the Glasgow smile being used was the uh, Black Dahlia. Oh, yeah, yeah. Elizabeth Short, who was born in 1924 and died January 15th, 1947. She was a waitress and an aspiring actress in Hollywood. On that grim day in January, her mutilated body was discovered in a residential area uh, just outside downtown Los Angeles. And again, a trigger warning. In the case of the Black Dahlia, the Glasgow smile was horrifyingly the least of the mutilation her body was completely severed at the waist and drained of blood there was not one drop of blood where they discovered her body and that led authorities to believe that she had been killed elsewhere and then arranged at the spot mm -hmm. where she was found right the horrifying expression that the glasgow smile left on her face was so grisly and disturbing that it was specifically left out of newspaper photographs and much of their reporting of the case the autopsy revealed that even though the glasgow smile wasn't the most dramatic part of her mutilation it probably is what caused her death blood loss yeah, apparently yeah. the autopsy reported that hemorrhaging from the facial lacerations and shock due to a head blow that she suffered is what, what happened. Essentially, she they cut her face and let her bleed out somewhere. Oof. The Black Dahlia deserves its own deep dive uh, because to this day, even though there are some strong theories and relatively new evidence, it remains one of the most famous cold case uh, files in history. It's very complicated and very weird. And equally as shocking, throughout the 1970s, there were gangs that were associated with soccer teams or your European football clubs in the UK. They were very violent. Guys, uh, gangs are dumb. A good portion of them were white supremacist. Well, white supremacists are pretty dumb. Neo-Nazis. Yep, dumb. And members of other hate groups. The most infamous was a gang associated with the Chelsea foot, uh, football club. They called themselves the Chelsea Headhunters. I imagine the Chelsea Football Club was like, no, no. Yeah. No, no, no. This, this is bad PR for us. You're tarnishing our image. It's it. These are poor optics. The Chelsea Headhunters were a very, very violent group of people. Mostly, they would just fight other rival soccer gangs, though, often ending in outright violence, brawls, riots. 
the Chelsea headhunters, when they would be fighting with other football fans, would administer what became known as the Chelsea Grin to members of the rival football uh, groups. Question. Yeah. So was it like the other gang situation, except for instead of being separated by religion, they were separated by which football yep. team they support? That's, That's right. so stupid. Yep. It's yeah. so stupid. I know. They Apparently, they take their sports very seriously oh, over there. man. Here in the U.S. at football games, we just get drunk in the parking lot and take our shirts off. I think that's a different kind of football. Doesn't matter. Oh, okay. So next time you watch Batman, watch a Batman movie, and you see the Joker, you'll know where that inspiration for his character came from. My information came from Wikipedia, all things interesting, the vintage news, and the sun. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Parts of that were upsetting. You know, when I, I get chapped lips and I get like a little split on my lip, mm-hmm. that really I have to like stay in bed for a couple of days. I get woozy, have to put my head down. I can't imagine what it would be like to have the corners of your mouth slit by razors. Yeah. You're, do, you're touching it with your tongue. Yeah, right I can't now. help that. Yeah. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan Toth. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer this message is sponsored by green light you know as your kids get older there are some things about parenting that gets easier i remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece if you put your pants on i'll give you some fresca and when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right it's a lot easier to manage them Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. 
What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parenting kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. And now, that thing in the middle. In 1620, a group of English families known today as the Pilgrims left England for the New World. After a grueling 10 weeks at sea, the Mayflower, with 102 passengers and a crew of about 30, reached America and dropped anchor near the tip of Cape Cod. Much has been speculated as to why they chose that particular area. Well, now we know. A journal from the ship reads, quote, we could not now take time for further search or consideration, our victuals being much spent, especially our beer. So it could be said that the Pilgrims landed in modern-day Massachusetts to make a beer run. So the last couple of days, we've been dealing with some intense heat here in yeah. central Florida. And, and no air conditioning. No air conditioning. And so uh, I've been sleeping in the guest room. Oh, I, I use the word sleeping <laughs> uh, kind of uh, generally. But um, it reminded me of a message that I got a little while ago on Instagram from Whitney. It says, hello, Kat. That's super unlikely that you'll see this, but I thought I would try anyway. I hear on the podcast you talking about how you and JG have a separate bed either of you can go to if you're having trouble sleeping. My BF wants that, and I respect that as he has insomnia and I don't help with my snoring. <laughs> I've always been taught that two people in love always share a bed. I know, I grew up in a religious family and I'm still unlearning a lot. And I can't help but feel some kind of anxiety slash rejection about it, even though I know it's not about how he feels about me, but just wanting some good sleep. Mm -hmm. I don't know if this is anything similar to you both, but can you give me some advice on how to deal with these anxieties and work through it? Well, first of all, you can still love a person regardless of what room you're in. Mm -hmm. um, that that would be number one. <laughs> and number two, I think you actually dealt with some weird feelings about it. I did at first, yeah. Even though I was the one that suggested it. It was kind of bananas because I was like, hey, um, I'm having a really hard time because you are a kicky, snorry man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and... <laughs> And I am so super sensitive to movement when I'm trying to fall asleep and sounds when I'm trying. I can't. I cannot. So I was like, I'm going to go into the guest room. And the fact that we have a nice guest room now is glorious because I used to sleep on the couch a lot. Right. Anyway, so I would come in here every once in a while. And one day we were talking about it and you were like, yeah, I really like it. And you made up my guest bed for me. Mm -hmm. And you were like, I made your bed. And I was like you don't love me anymore? <laughs> it was my idea and I was still feeling the feelings of rejection. It was so weird. Once you liked the idea, I was like, I don't know about this anymore. It was so weird. Yeah, I think we're, what she's trying to say is we're all unlearning um, some things that yes. we were taught when we grew up. And the, the bottom line is you don't have to be with the person you love 24-7. In fact, it's probably a good idea 
to not be with the other <laughs> person 24-7. And without sleep, I am a shit show. So um, it really has worked out well for us having a space for each of us. Um, you know, we'll, we'll occasionally still sleep together and we do a lot of like nighttime snugs and then I move into the other room. But I even trying to sleep together a couple nights ago, you kicked and you moved and you cleared your throat. And yeah, I was yeah. like, I am out of here. <laughs> But I still love you. I still love you, too. And I love being able to starfish in that king-size bed. It's pretty nice, huh? William sent us an email regarding Box 160, Bobby Dunbar. Remember that story? Yes. He was the one that disappeared and then came back, right? Yeah. But it wasn't him? It, yeah, exactly. He was an American boy whose disappearance at the age of four and apparent return widely reported in newspapers across the U.S. in 1912, 1913. He came back. The parents accepted him back as a child, as the child, but then uh, a lady named Julia Anderson said, no, that's not your son, it's my son, and some peddler guy had kidnapped two kids or something, and they got mixed up, and and they didn't, they weren't able to determine it until DNA testing not too long ago, when they discovered it wasn't Bobby Dunbar, right. it was actually Julia Anderson's child Bruce right which is why I constantly ask you questions like how would you identify me if I didn't have a head how would you identify me if all my limbs were gone mm -hmm. like what identifying factors do you know about me because I don't want to be lost in a morgue somewhere sure no I would be able to uh, identify your body your headless corpse by that brown freckle at the top of your butt crack damn it anyway William writes hey guys I got giddy when I heard this story. I'm from Poplarville, Mississippi, where Julia Anderson ended up living and staying. Wow. In fact, my ex-brother-in-law's grandmother was Julia's daughter. What? Whoa. Love the show, William. Thanks, William. Oh, my goodness. The fact that we are so closely connected to some of these stories because of the people that reach out to us, like, you people are the best part of the show. Oh, no Please kidding. understand this. No kidding. <laughs> we'll have more from the Inbox of Oddities in upcoming episodes. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. They've been married longer than they've been doing this podcast, and they're still talking to each other. Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth continue with The Box of Oddities. What you got for me? Oh, yeah. so pretty. Thanks. The AAA affiliate of the Colorado Rockies needed a name. Colorado Rockies, by the way, the starter jacket that my friend Stephanie had when we were in sixth grade. Uh, yeah, but more importantly, a Major League Baseball franchise. Yes, but 
She had the purple one. Oh, that's nice. Mine was maroon. I don't remember what the team was, but it was maroon. And I know I had it because it was the cheapest. Cat will often uh, choose a team like during the Super Bowl or even the uh, March Madness tournament. She'll pick the teams based on color of their uniform and she's surprisingly successful. Thank you. Yeah, I think that's because colors uh, lend a lot to how we live our... Listen, it's complicated. Mm -hmm. I don't want to get into it right now. (laughs) Anyway, so... A naming contest was hosted, and it worked out really, really well. So it was decided that this team would henceforth be called the Albuquerque Isotopes. Now, this is a real team in a real city, but it is 100% named after the Springfield team featured on The Simpsons. Oh, wow. In fact, when the name was announced, the New Mexico-based Isotopes went on to sell more merch before playing a single game <laughs> mm. than the previous team, the Cannons, had sold over the course of an entire season. That's really, that's marketing genius. Yes, it's so smart. And of course, I've never seen The Simpsons, so uh, though I did have uh, Simpsons sing the blues on tape. Mm-hmm. I remember at one of our live shows, you had mentioned you had never seen The Simpsons and the entire crowd booed you. <laughs> there was there was an audible gasp followed by a boo, yes. Um, so I guess in a uh, 2006 episode, there was a reference to the Springfield isotopes. Uh-huh. And so that's why the uh, AAA affiliate of the Colorado Rockies named their team the Albuquerque isotopes. <laughs> so oftentimes, minor league teams rely on uh, local references or in jokes to an area's history to connect with the fans, and they want to build out their brand as something that's going to create like a community vibe. And it makes sense that an Albuquerque team would go with Isotopes, considering they're close to the White Sands, New Mexico atomic testing base. Right. Also, Homer. Um, and uh. Marge. Yep. Mm. So it also can have a lot to do with marketing and attention grabbing, but I don't care because minor league baseball team names and their mascots are the best. And that's what we're going to talk about okay. today. Awesome. The Corpus Christi Hooks are a minor league baseball team of the Texas League and the AA affiliate of the Houston Astros. They play at Whataburger Field. I've never dined at a Whataburger, but I've heard it's nice. J.D. Martinez actually came up from the Hooks. Really? Anyway, yes. Okay, so they're the Hooks based on the fishing heritage in that area, but... Each Wednesday home game throughout the 2021 season, the Hooks played as the Honey Butter Chicken Biscuits, <laughs> which is delightful. So they, I guess Whataburger is somehow involved in the foundation of their team, not just their, their field, but um, they, <laughs> as a tribute and, a, and paying homage to Whataburger, they, they play... <laughs> as the honey butter chicken biscuits, which I love. The Deep South, obviously, proud of its comfort foods, as well they should be. And they also are very proud of their very cool minor league Tampa Bay Rays affiliate, the Montgomery Biscuits. (laughs) 
In a, another instance of the Name the Team contest gone absolutely right, Montgomery, obviously V proud of their biscuits. Also, the owner really liked the marketing and pun possibilities, such as, hey, butter, 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 butter. Swing butter. <laughs> and the team souvenir store called the Biscuit Basket. Really, it the, just works. The marketing itself just unfolds effortlessly. Right? Yes. The Class A affiliate of the San Diego Padres in the Midwest League adopted their name, the Fort Wayne Tin Caps, to begin the 2009 season. The Tin Cap is a reference to the legend that Johnny Appleseed wore a tin cooking pot on his head. Most drawings and cartoons of Johnny Appleseed show him with like this tin pot Mm -hmm. on his head. In reality, it wasn't a tin pot. But it was a tin hat that he used as a pot. Okay. So really, it was a tin pot. And I don't know why people are all semantic-y about this, but <laughs> uh, it doesn't make a difference. Anyway, they named their team after his, his pot hat. <laughs> so there you go. All right. You may remember one of our live shows. I talked about Champy, the Lake Champlain. Yeah. Yeah. Lake monster. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the Vermont Lake monsters are a short season class A affiliate of the Oakland athletics in the New York Penn league. The name Lake monsters is another result of a name the team contest, which is something I think that we should absolutely keep doing. The alternate option was the green mountain boys. And I can't tell you how happy I am that Lake monsters won because oh, yeah. it's so much better. It's a shoe in. So champy is to Lake Champlain what Nessie is to Loch Ness, you know, the mm-hmm. whole thing. And um, so they decided that they would, um, it's the Lake Monsters, which mm-hmm. I think is rad. Now, in Everett, Washington, they've got a team called the Aqua Sox. It's kind of like the Red Sox or the White Sox, but a little, you know, fresher, a little brighter. Um, it's it's not really a big deal. It doesn't sound that weird, except for the fact that their mascot is a tree frog that's huh. staring directly at you, like mm. making eye contact with you while it's licking a baseball. Wow. Yeah. That's menacing. So, I mean, it's not always the name. Sometimes it's just the imagery that comes along with it. How, how do you get a tree frog (laughs) (laughs) from the Aquasox? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe because tree frogs live in a tropical environment and there has to be a lot of agua. I don't know. (laughs) Don't know. Didn't find any answers on the info webs either. Lansing, Michigan has been an industrial center for a very long time. It all started with the Oldsmobile Company and the Olds Motor Company. Now, Olds doesn't make cars anymore, but the high A affiliate of the Oakland Athletics pays tribute to the area's automotive legacy with the Lansing lug nuts. (laughs) Its mascot looks like a lug nut. Does he have a name like Luggy? You know, I don't know. Blamo? I didn't know. <laughs> what is oh what was Blamo? Blamo was <laughs> There used to be there used to be a chain of restaurants in Florida called Quincy's Family Restaurants. 
And Wait, biscuit? Well, was it was it a no, it's a big fat yeast roll. The big fat yeast roll. Yeah, it would say uh, Quincy Family Restaurants, home of the big fat yeast roll, and that just to me never sounded very uh, appetizing. No. Um, but uh, I, w- I was doing a morning radio show in Orlando, and we uh, held a contest to name the. Uh, the, the big, big fat, fat yeast roll. roll and blammo was the uh, was the winning choice. I love, so much. <laughs> I love your stories. Well, about a thousand miles away in Wichita, Kansas, uh, there used to live the Wichita Wingnuts. So that franchise was founded in 2008, and it lasted for about a decade, but it ultimately folded in 2018. The mayor of Wichita announced that they were building a new stadium and they would host the new orleans baby cakes a team that played in the triple a league it had the creepiest mardi gras celebrating giant baby head mascot you can possibly imagine so like picture a you know that um that movie that jimmy's voice is in with the giant headed babies uh, baby boss baby boss baby boss baby boss baby Baby boss yeah Baby Boss Baby. Um, so you know how they have like these tiny bodies, but these giant heads? Mm-hmm. Like 10 times that. <laughs> and with a lot of like confetti and green and purple balloons around him. Like super creepy baby head. And that was the the mascot. Um, <clears throat> was it like a giant antique doll head? Because that's freaky. Yes, kind of. Wow. Yeah. It was very shiny. Mm. The team relocated to Wichita, Kansas in 2020 and was rebranded the Wichita Wind Surge. All right. Interesting choice. Uh Uh, Even more interesting, their mascot, Windy, the Pegasus. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. The design and aesthetic for the Creepy Baby Cakes and the team's rebrand, the Wind Surge thing, was done by a company called Brandios. And they've done a ton of the rebrands for minor league baseball. Uh, For example, the Richmond Flying Squirrels, the El Paso Chihuahuas, the Hartford Yard Goats, the Armadillo Sod Poodles, the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs, the Florida Fire Frogs, the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp, the Down East Wood Ducks, the Birmingham Rumble Ponies. <laughs> Rumble Pony. That sounds filthy. Yeah. As well as this team, also honoring their industrial history, Cleveland's AA affiliate, formerly the Akron Arrows. Akron, of course, having a strong connection to the rubber industry, more specifically like Goodyear, right. General Tire, Goodrich, sure, and Firestone. Sure. So when the Arrows rebranded in 2013, they became the Akron Rubber Ducks. <laughs> well, that makes sense. In addition to the rubber connection, the team's owner said that the fierce-looking duck mascot represents the grit of the area's blue-collar market and spirit. In normal Illinois you'll find the Frontier League affiliate, the Corn Belters. Of course, that refers to the Midwest and its corn production fine. But Corny, the official mascot of the normal Corn Belters, is where things get strange. Corny, on the field, running around, is some sort of big booty dinosaur slash corn hybrid. (laughs) So he's got, he's like the purple dinosaur Mm -hmm. guy, and he's got tall, almost like corn silk hair Mm -hmm. coming out of the top of his head. 
and he scoodles about with his giant badonk and does his on the field thing. However, when illustrated, Corny doesn't look like a dinosaur at all. He's just an anthropomorphic corn cob who is quite obviously high. Uh-huh. Corn cob, corn cob pipe, smoking the wacky tobacco. It all fits. Oh wow, that was quite the uh, <laughs> well. So transition. Their their, uh, their mascot doesn't look anything like. My thought is this: that they got a discount from a company that manufactures mascot costumes, and they manufactured it for somebody else, mm-hmm. and that company didn't take delivery on it. Okay. So we don't have you know an anthropomorphic corn cob, but we've got a dinosaur. We'll put some like corn silk on its head and we'll give you a good deal. Sure. I mean, that makes about as much sense as any other explanation for this situation. Absolutely. Now, when the Southern League's Mobile Bay Bears relocated to Madison, Alabama a few years ago, it was time to rebrand. The area there has an association with the space industry. According to the team, our community is known for engineering, and no creature in our galaxy is as smart creative, determined, and ingenious a problem solver dedicated to the challenge at hand as our local raccoons. And Hmm. that's how they became the Rocket City Trash Pandas. (laughs) I cannot express to you how much the merchandise for this team has exploded. They cannot keep up with the demand. When they have home games, they sell out of merch. I'm sure. Their online sales all over the place. People who aren't any, in any way associated with this team want to wear trash panda garb. And I can't say that I blame them. No, I'm on board 100%. This has been an incredibly, I mean, I'm not even scratching the surface of the teams that we could talk about, but this has been so much fun to research. And I cannot wait for a part two, which I hope that you will allow me to do. Absolutely. I'm surprised you didn't mention the Savannah Bananas. Mm. Savannah Bananas, I almost talked about, and here's why I didn't. They've turned their games into somewhat of a circus kind of situation. Which I love. It's almost like a Harlem Globetrotters type style thing. And I didn't mention it because I wanted to take you to one of them. And we talked about maybe going to Savannah for your birthday. And so I thought it would be fun to try to see if I could line it up. And that's why I didn't talk about it. I love what they do. I've seen a lot of uh, TikToks. Oh, you've uh, seen it? Okay. Sure, sure. Like the, the pitcher will be on the mound and he'll start to wind up and then he'll stop halfway through and go into a choreographed dance routine that the entire infield joins in on yeah there was one day where retired baseball legend former red sox pitcher bill lee was in the stands oh he he was just there watching the game and drinking beer and the savannah bananas were being roughed up by the opposing team and so they they instead of going to the bullpen they brought bill lee out of the stands with his beer and he pitched an inning (laughs) see that's I thought that would be fun for your birthday. Oh, my God. I still want to do that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Okay, well, I wanted it to be a surprise. But, of course, you know about the Savannah Bananas. And do bananas have anything to do with Savannah? Absolutely not. But it rhymes. That's all that matters. And sometimes I hear those games can be bananas. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Oh, I don't... Hmm. <laughs> I mean, I'm happy that you want, like the idea. But I'm kind of sad also because I wanted it to be a surprise. Your Honor... Can we strike this all from the record? (laughs) That's not a thing. Anyway, I got most of my information from the Bleacher Report, Ask.com, Sports Illustrated, and the New York Times. 
We mentioned in the, in the last episode that uh, we have set up a new UPS box, a new address uh, here in Orlando. We're tired of getting our mail late from the Bangor post office box. <laughs> so we finally closed that out, opened a new one, and you didn't have the address when we were talking about it. Well, you didn't have episode. the address either. Well, I'm no, just saying. But, but I, didn't, I didn't leave it in the car. <sighs> it's also your car. You could have gone. You know, I, don't, I feel attacked right now. I feel you, like... you want a hug? Come here. Come here, you knucklehead. Better? Yeah. Okay. Oh, the address is 8131 Vineland Avenue, number 248, Orlando, Florida. The zip, 32821. That's our, that's our new The Box of Oddities address. And we look forward to hearing from you. Please and thank you. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you. To provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, we wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. Have you ever wondered how inbred the Habsburgs really were? What women in the past used for birth control? Or what Queen Victoria's nine children got up to? On the History Tea Time podcast, I profile remarkable queens and LGBTQ plus royals, explore royal family trees, and delve into women's medical history and other fascinating topics. Join me every Tuesday for History Tea Time, wherever fine podcasts are enjoyed. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend, the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>